So we're going to jump right into um, our time in God's Word today. So if you have a Bible, Bible app, whatever it is, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, beginning at verse 7, and we'll look at these next few verses that Jesus wants to teach us from. If you have found that and you're able, if you would stand together with me for the reading of God's Word. Jesus says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly and just commit this time to him and then we'll we'll just dive right into this. Uh, Spirit of God, would you now illumine the preaching of your word? Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our minds uh, to what you want to show us today. And God, I'm just asking you to work powerfully in us. Reveal more of yourself to us. And in doing that, reveal more of ourselves to us. Um, We want to place ourselves underneath your word and not over top of it in judgment. So would you accomplish whatever work you want to accomplish in each one of us today through this word? And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, it was uh, February 9th, 2006. And then again, sorry, the eyes are already rolling. And then again, June 19th, 2007, when my world would twice be forever changed when two amazing young ladies entered into my life, adding the title of father to the list of identities that I've taken on. Um, I'm not at all trying to present fatherhood as like this pinnacle of something that every man needs to attain to. It's, It's not. And yet it's something God's called me to. And as a father, um, which I, I love very much, I, I resonate very much with something that Canadian-born actor Ryan Reynolds once said in an interview he gave with David Letterman, talking about fatherhood. He, he said this, uh, I used to tell my wife, I would take a bullet for you. I love you more than anything. I could never love anyone as much as you. And then the second I looked into my baby's eyes, I knew in that exact moment, that I would use her body as a human shield to protect her from those children ever being harmed. It's just different, right? The love, it's not better or worse. It's just a different kind of love that you have for a child. And, and because of that love that I have for both of my children as a father, there is literally nothing that I wouldn't give to serve a need, to, to protect their well-being of either one of my daughters, even at the cost of my own life. And although I know that, no, I am not a perfect father um, in any sense of that word, I have genuinely sought to love them the best I know how, the best I can over their lives, and I want them to always see me as a, a safe, reliable, steady person in their lives that they can bring any worry, any question, any need to whenever they want. And yet... Despite all of that love and passion and my desire to protect them, to give them truly good gifts, everything I just described to you, here's what I also know. 
I regularly fail to love them that way. All the time. I, I am often too busy. I'm often tired and grumpy and snappy. I'm selfish. And I'm, I'm sometimes just triggered by stuff. I'm all like, whatever it is, all these things that lead me to act in ways that are the complete opposite to the protective love and passion that I just described to you. It's like, it's like I can clearly see this goal of how it is that I want to act, how I want to behave towards them, and yet again and again, I regularly fail to reach that goal. And I mention all that as we continue this morning in our teaching series through Matthew's Gospel entitled Kingdom Come, because although Jesus has already given us his core teaching on prayer back in Matthew chapter 6, there he's warning us against hypocrisy in prayer, he's, he's giving us his mode, his model for prayer, which we refer to now as the Lord's Prayer, although we already have that, what Jesus wants to leave his kingdom citizens with now in these closing verses of the Sermon on the Mount are two key concepts as it relates to prayer. Two key concepts. The first is this, that the way God relates to you in prayer is just like a father with his children. That's how God relates to you in prayer. And secondly, because God is God and not finite and not limited in the way that every earthly father is, he's also the very best father that there is and therefore the best one to bring your prayers to. Which I pray as we look at this is going to be really transformational for a lot of us today as we think about how we pray and how we relate to God in prayer ourselves when we come to understand how it is that he relates to us. And in order to help us track with what Jesus is going to show us here uh, in this teaching this morning from our passage, I want to just kind of break it up into two different sections. We're going to look today at developing a good posture in prayer and then developing good expectation of prayer. Developing a good posture in prayer and developing good expectation of prayer. So if you've closed your Bibles, Bible app, whatever it is, open them again with me if you would. Follow along with me as Jesus helps to expand our understanding of this often misunderstood, at times even neglected practice of prayer, and also helps to expand our understanding of the Father in heaven that we bring our prayers to. Okay, so let's look first of all at developing a good posture in prayer. Developing a good posture in prayer, and I trust that when I say I'm talking about a good posture in prayer, you know I, I'm not referring at all to your shoulder position or how well you engage your core muscles when you pray. I mean, do that. That's probably a good thing too. We only get one back, so think about those things. But I'm using posture in the sense of like an approach to something, how it is you approach prayer, or developing a right attitude towards prayer. That's what I mean by posture in prayer. And the reality is there's all kinds of different things that influence our posture in prayer, how it is you think about prayer, everything from your upbringing to maybe uh, teaching you've received over the course of your life about prayer. But something that I think is incredibly important, has a massive impact on your posture in prayer, is how it is you see the God that you're praying to. How it is you see him has such a massive impact on your posture in prayer. I mean, just thinking about how we approach anybody, thinking about my posture towards somebody. I, I came away from 
a visit to Santa and a visit to the dentist with toys. I came away with toys from both of them. And yet how I saw both of those people drastically impacted how it was I approached both of them. One was this big hugs and the other one was like, I I don't want anything, just don't touch me. Um, How I saw them dictated how I approached them. Now, yes, look here. Jesus describes God both here as well as in his teaching back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, as our Father in heaven. So that's how we are to see God, as our Father in heaven. But man, even then, like even in a room this size, uh, how people hear and understand that term Father is going to have vast different definitions of how we see that term, right? For some of us, a Father is a disciplinarian a fearful presence, and so their approach to ask anything of him needs to be carefully timed and measured in order to avoid violence. For others, uh, a father is a powerful, weighty presence, and so their approach to ask anything of him needs to be be presented in very formal language, only at appropriate times. Some of you want nothing to do with your fathers because he hasn't been present at all. So what about God? God. What kind of father is he? Because how I see God is going to powerfully influence my posture towards him in prayer. How it is I come to him and bring these things to him in prayer, if I feel like I can approach him in prayer at all. Well, thankfully, uh, Jesus shows us here exactly what kind of father God is to all of his kingdom citizens. First of all, there in verses 7 and 8, look with me there. Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which tells us all kinds of different things about God as a father, but just to highlight a few key things. First of all, it tells us that God is the kind of father who is welcoming. He's a God who is inviting, a God who wants you to disturb him. There's no, like, do not disturb sign on his door. His, his door is open. He, he wants you in his presence. That's what this shows us, first of all. Secondly, it shows us that God is the kind of father who is lavish, even prodigal in his generosity. Just he, he says there, he promises everyone who asks will receive. And then finally, it tells us that God is the kind of father who is reliable who is always available, who can readily be found by all who seek him. That's the kind of father God is. And and I'm not going to take a a poll right now, ask you to raise your hand, but I'd honestly want to ask you to consider the question, how many of you could honestly say that that is the picture of God you have in mind as your father when you come to him in prayer? Is it? Is that, is that how you see God? And no, I don't mean is that, do you, do you agree theologically that that's how the Bible describes him? I mean, is that how you see him? Generous, lavish in his generosity, inviting, welcoming you, always available and open. Is that how you see your father? When, is, is that how you, you understand the father's posture towards you before you ever speak a word to him in prayer? And then, follow-up question, if you did, if you did see him that way, welcoming, inviting, lavish in his generosity, always available, how would it change your posture towards him in prayer? How would it change the way that you come to God in prayer if you really 
saw him like this. Probably won't surprise you to hear me say that as a pastor, I get to hear a lot of different people share with me their different struggles as it relates to their prayer life. Um, Sometimes people feel that their their prayer lives feel dry, um, filled with only just rote repetition, and so it just feels kind of lifeless to them. Other people feel like they must be bothering God, or maybe they're asking too much of him. Sometimes people feel like they're unable or unworthy to pray to God at all because of some moral failure in their lives, or maybe they're like, man, I haven't talked to him in years. I can't just come into God and talk to him. But the problem with each one of those different cases and and any others like them very often is it's not a technique problem, as though there was like a right technique to pray, and it's not even a faith problem. What I see it as, in the end, is actually a posture problem. And I believe that that we all at different times have that posture problem. We are confused and continue to struggle so much in our approach to God in prayer because we're not yet seeing God for who he truly is. We're not seeing him like this. So for example, we, we pray to God in this highly formal kind of like wooden manner because, well, God is too exalted. He's too like high above and, and distant to be spoken to just like you would talk to someone else. And yet then I feel like totally disconnected from God because I'm talking to him in a way that I don't actually speak to people. So it just feels like this lifeless whatever. Or, or maybe I feel like I, 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 God is too just like exalted and, and far away. He's too, um, he's too busy. I feel like um, I, I don't want to bother God with my small concerns. Or I feel like I failed so badly I can't approach God with anything. Or maybe I just feel like I don't share my actual real struggles and questions with God. Because God's holy. He's perfect. So how can I bring these like, real struggles and questions and doubts to him? Maybe he's even embarrassed of me that I would even share these things. So I need to figure that out first and then I can go to him in prayer. But I want to I ask you to do something with me. Look again at Jesus' description of the Father's posture towards you when you come to him in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks will find. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just look. Do you you see any, is there any parentheses there? Um, Do you see footnotes that lead you to some fine print? Do you see any provisos whatsoever in any of those actions? says ask ask for what what's on your heart seek him seek him how what seek him it's just open it's just wide open the book of james uh, jesus half brother says it this way this is james 4 2 he says you have not because why well because you didn't ask right because you were asking too much of god because you have no right to ask anything of him at all no he says you have not because you ask not You didn't, at times, we don't have from God because we don't even start by bringing those requests to him to begin with. And what I'm saying is, I think the reason we don't approach God like that, we don't approach him with a readiness to bring our requests towards him and an expectancy that he will answer is because we're not seeing him like this. We're not seeing him as he truly is. Just to give you a simple example of this, a story is told of a general once who came to Alexander the Great 
and he asked him to give him some exorbitant amount of money for his son's wedding. And after a bit of discussion, Alexander, he, he agrees to sponsor him. And after the general leaves, the advisors come up to him and they were just like, what are, what are you doing? Why would you agree to give and grant such a ridiculous amount of money to this guy? And he, what he replied was this, I agreed because he asked, believing I was rich enough to grant his request and generous enough that I would. And man, that's it right there, honestly. That's what I'm talking about here when I'm saying we develop a good posture in prayer that is based out of a right understanding of who it is that we're bringing our requests to. Do we see God as one who is generous enough to grant our requests and also willing? That he's, he has the resources and he's willing to give them. It changes everything about how we approach him when we see him rightly. F.D. Bruner says it this way. The irony is that we carry around heavy bundles of wishes that never become askings. We talk to ourselves about our problems in the form of much thought, worry, and sleeplessness. We might talk about our problems with those close to us as well. But even we Christians are strangely reluctant to talk about our problems with the Father. And yet, here, Jesus opens the doors of faith as wide as they will ever be opened again and promises a fruitful audience with the Father for all who will simply come and ask. But the problem with that, and, and, and maybe you've sensed it already, is not that the Bible doesn't teach us that this is what the Father is truly like and therefore why we have to learn to, to change and adjust our approach differently to the Father than maybe we have been. The problem, as many have articulated, to, have articulated this to me over the years, is that this is simply not a true description. It's not true. If God is any kind of father at all, they say, he's either an absentee father or he is the most cruel, heartless, wicked father of all that you would do best to avoid because he's not available. He can't be found. No matter how desperately you seek him and everyone who asks does not receive. And almost invariably, that, that belief in those statements are connected to a truly heartbreaking story of, of pain and of loss and betrayal where they did seek, they did ask, they did knock. And, and maybe in some way, in some form, as best as they can, they're still trying to ask and seek and knock. And yet, they still didn't receive. The door didn't push open and God was nowhere to be found. And in the face of a story and experience that they're sharing with you, or, or man, maybe, maybe you'd say that that's your story, actually. Maybe you're here this morning, you're really struggling because you, you, you want to see God this way. You, you love him and you're trying to follow him, and yet that's your exact experience as well. I, I came to him, I asked, and nothing happened. I, I, I'm seeking him, I can't find him. And I don't know what to do with that. In the face of that kind of evidence, how in the world can Jesus go on here in verse 11 to talk about these good things the Father will give to those who ask? Who, who gets them? Where, how, how do I get them? Is this just for some elite class of Christian that I'm just not 
What is it? It's a great question. It's a question, if, if you'll allow me, I, I want to try to help us understand together from what Jesus goes on to say in these closing verses. And talk, lastly, here about developing good expectation of prayer. Developing good expectation of prayer. So if you look with me now here at verses 9 and 10, Jesus begins here by asking two simple questions. He says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Okay, so rhetorical questions, the, the answer is intended to be obvious, no one. Uh, no good parent who, who loved their child would give them a stone when they asked for bread or would give them a snake when they asked for fish. And, and Jesus, Jesus agrees with them. He's like, right, that's exactly right. You're, you're right, a good parent, th- those are all good gifts that you give to your children because you love them. You want what's best for them. You would never give them something that would harm them or that couldn't nourish them when they needed nourishment. You're exactly right. But what Jesus is setting up and asking these questions is something in legal terminology that's referred to as an a fortiori argument. An a fortiori, a fortiori, however you say it. Which basically means, thank you, which means it's an argument from strength. It means you are setting up a strong foundation upon which everyone can agree, everyone can confidently stand on that foundation, and then you argue from or build out from that foundation that we're all standing on now. So that's what Jesus is setting up here, and we know that's what he's doing because of what he goes on to say there in verse 11. Look, if you then, here's the conclusion, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now I get it, I know, it's true. That, that language of calling us evil, we're just like, excuse me? Um, that, that, that seems jarring to us at first. But, but listen, ultimately what Jesus is trying to do there is not to insult us. What he is trying to do is simply draw a clear distinction between the world and humanity, which is still corrupted by sin's curse, and a God who is not. That's all he's doing there, is just drawing that distinction. Okay, so it's not as if Jesus is saying, like, you who are drug lords... You who are mafia bosses, if you know how to give good gifts, that's not what he's doing. All he's doing here is trying to point out the limitation that every one of us still remains under. And his point is, if you know how to discern good gifts between harmful ones, even with the limitation of a corrupt sinful nature, just imagine how much better the gifts that your heavenly Father is going to give are going to be when he is free from any such limitations. So, so when we talk about developing good expectation of prayer, don't hear me saying like, you know, you just need to kind of lower your expectations. You'll see it as good if you just kind of bring it down here a bit. No, what Jesus is saying is increase them. Increase your expectations. That's what good is. That's the good your Father wants to bring to you. And honestly, this now, this is the point where I believe we need to be willing to begin to go back and reassess reassess our conclusions about the goodness of the Father in heaven and whether or not he truly is either that absentee or that cruel, heartless Father that we just accused him of being a moment ago. Because this takes you back to what I shared all the way back at the beginning of this message here when I talked about this deep, passionate love I have for my daughters, my desire that for, for their good, even above my own, and yet my inability right, to consistently demonstrate that love for them. My inability to even see what is best for them all the time. 
and then just to consistently do it. Why? Well, because I'm evil. That is because I'm always going to be limited by my inability to both truly see what's good for them and to consistently carry it out. I just can't do it no matter how much I want. And the limitation is me. It's not my desire. It's not how much I want to love them or give good gifts to them. The limitation is me. It's my selfishness. It's my fatigue. It's whatever it is. But then when we build out from that foundation, as Jesus does here in verse 11, and I remember that God is not limited at all in the ways that I am, nor has he ever been, it suddenly shatters my ability to even judge whether the actions of God in my life or in the world are truly good. Because if I know how to give good gifts to my children, even despite being limited by myself, even despite being limited by my selfishness, then how much better, how much more fitting, more perfectly suited, and more consistently given are the good gifts of God to his children going to be who has none of those limitations? And although I didn't plan it this way, how good is it that As we think about these things, we just finished a a deep dive over the summer months into the story of Joseph. Because there we had a front row seat into the life and experience of someone who could have made all those same accusations of God himself based on the horrific injustices that he experienced over the course of his life. A man who, who asked and didn't receive. A man who knocked, but the prison doors were not open, but who could still at the end of his life, stand before those who committed the greatest evil against him and still say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so to begin, when it comes to developing good expectation of prayer, I think we need to reassess our judgment of how it is we assess what is and is not a good gift from God. For without question, listen, being left for dead... Being sold into slavery by your own brothers, falsely accused by your boss's wife, those are not good things. God's not asking us to look at what's evil and say, no, that's good, actually. That's not what he's doing. But what we know is that the result that God brought about through those things was absolutely good both for Joseph as well as his family, the people of Israel as a whole. And so in the same way, we said it, Joseph hadn't read the book of Genesis. He didn't know how the story ended. He couldn't assess rightly in the moment the goodness that would come about as a result of the pain and the struggle that he was going through. Maybe we need to acknowledge our same limited perspective in our own lives. Reserve judgment until we can look back one day and truly assess it. I don't know why it is we think from our limited perspective, right up in our face in the moment, we can rightly assess the sweep of of how something could result in goodness, even if in the moment it's not good. But secondly, I think we also need to broaden our definition of good, what a good gift is from God in developing good expectation of prayer. A definition that expands the boundaries of good beyond getting exactly what it is that I asked for in prayer, exactly when and how I asked for it. Is that your definition of good? For again, just think about Joseph's life. certainly, He certainly would have thought in it, he wouldn't have thought it was good in the moment But having his prized coat of many colors stripped from him, that's exactly what he needed in order to be able to grow into the person that God was developing him to be. He needed that good gift. So that's not what he would have asked for in prayer, but that's exactly what he needed to ask for. 
So it's just as uh, Tim Keller says, I've said this quote many times, but I love it, when he says, God will only give you in prayer what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Just, just simply to say and acknowledging that I'm limited in a way that God is not also means acknowledging the reality that what I'm asking for, what I'm pleading for from him, might not actually be good. It might not actually be what's best for me. As one commentator put it, how many times, based on my limited perspective, do I ask God for a stone when what I need is bread? How many times am I pleading with him for a snake? Give me a snake! Asking him to give me what would actually harm me and then impugn his goodness as a father because he rightly and lovingly denies my request. I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it best in his own work on this passage when he wrote, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask of him. I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors in my face. I think we could all say amen to that. In his classic work, Knowing God, J.I. Packer wrote these words, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know, he said, is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. I said at the beginning, one of my greatest hopes and desires for my own children is that they might always know that they are loved by me and that they can see me as a safe, reliable person in their lives that they can bring any worry, any question, any, any doubt or whatever it is to me whenever they need. My prayer is that our time spent together in these few verses this morning has helped you to see that this is also one of the greatest desires of our Father in heaven for his children. To be a father in your life who is welcoming and inviting who is lavish in his generosity towards you and is always available and can do all those things in a way that even the best of earthly fathers never could. And he can do that. He he can always be that father to you because of the work of his son Jesus, the one who's here telling us about the goodness of the father, telling us about his good gifts to all who ask. And he can do that because alone in a garden 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked to have this cup of suffering taken from him, and he did not receive. In agony from the cross, Jesus sought the face of his father and did not find him. Not because the father didn't love the son, but because, as we read this morning, God so loved the world, he so loved you, and he so loved me, that he gave his only son. It's because Jesus was the good gift of the Father to us. That's why Paul says so powerfully there in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Which means, listen, that understanding that seeing God as now he truly is, it means we can approach him, as the author of Hebrew tells us, with confidence. We can confidently approach the throne of grace when we see him for as he truly is, confident that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. Don't be deceived. 
my dear brothers and sisters, writes James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation. Due to shadow or due to change means the invitation's always open. It's never going to stop being offered to you. He chose to give us birth. He, he made us his children through the word of truth, that is, the message of the gospel, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That is, we might be almost like a good gift offered back in return in response to his good gifts to us. If you think about all that we've looked at this morning, how will seeing your father for who he truly is as well as remembering his best gift of all that caused you to become his child to begin with, how will it help you today and in the days to come develop both your posture as well as your expectation in prayer?